0: Please take your seats. Thank you. G'day everyone and welcome to the first installment of 2022 of the Chewing the Bat podcast. My name's Jack and unfortunately I am one third of your hosting team today um, as we've struck Some COVID difficulties Um, Unfortunately Yours truly Has been Struck down With the spicy cough Of which My fellow Sporting comrade Gus Gus Bus Unfortunately Cannot join me In the studio And our Marvelous producer In producer Frey uh, Is down In Melbourne Being um, The marvellous Boyfriend And supporter He is to Friend of the show Kimberly Birrell So Unfortunately You're going to get The voice of a third of your hosting team today in myself, Jack, so if you do not like my voice, I would probably recommend to tune out quite shortly. Um, However, I'm going to be giving you a little bit of an update on the sporting world, in particular, the summer of tennis, of course as well, the summer of cricket, and some news globally in the NBA, also in the PGA, um, and some pretty. Cool results from Aussies, not just in tennis, but also cross sports as well. So stay tuned. Um, but starting off with probably the biggest sporting news of the year, even though it's early days, I'm probably going to put it in the top three and we're only 10 days in. Um, and it's going to be the debate or the great rivalry between Novak Djokovic and the Australian federal government. Of which we have finally uh, come forth. They've finally come forth with a decision. And Novak, no VACs. No he's playing unbelievable. So the whole tennis community have been hanging on for on a knife's edge to whether or not Djokovic will come to Australia. He got his exemption, flew in, got here, was faced with, um, with deportation by the federal government started a legal battle, um, of which started this morning, Monday, the 10th of January. And I believe he is free to play as of tonight. So we will be seeing Djokovic compete in the 2022 Australian Open. And like Kyrios said in the media and the papers this morning, he's going to be one tough play to beat. Probably red hot and raging from the whole incident, so Djokovic, would he be the favourite? He's probably had a few days off, no hitting, um, without his coach and trainer for the last week I believe, and since he's been here, so not the best preparation, but he's the world number one, he's Novak Djokovic, and I I fear for anyone having to play him in any round in this year's Australian Open. I was going to delve into the issue a bit more drastically. However, I'm going to refrain um, from going too political at the joy, uh, I believe, of producer Frey. He'll be very thankful for not delving into this one. There is a couple things I do want to highlight, though, which I found absolutely crazy, ludicrous, if you may, but it, it's the godlike fashion of which the Serbian people see Novak Djokovic. One of the quotes I believe it came from his father um, is pretty pretty up there, comparing Djokovic, literally comparing him to Jesus. He's quoted saying, "Jesus was crucified and endured many things, but still lives among us. Novak is also crucified, the best sportsman and man in the world. He will endure." So, Jesus and godlike comparisons there by his old man, and I'm sure also by many of the Serbian population. Rafa, I think, hit the nail on the head, essentially, by simply saying, quoted, In some way, I feel sorry for him. But at the same time, he knew the conditions some months ago, so there are consequences for his own decisions. And that makes sense, no? So, yeah, pretty fair from Rafa, and I think a pretty fair stance from his comments that he's made thus far in the media since his touchdown in Australia. of which this whole Serbia debacle with Serbia literally getting down on their knees praying for Novak, protesting for Novak, I've thought who are Australia's biggest sporting icons, sporting icons? And of which the Australian public will fall to their knees for. So I've devised and created a list. A top five list of Aussie sporting icons Australians would fall to their knees for. It's a pretty good list. Um, I've thrown in one non-sporting wildcard. You could probably take a a punt to whoever that may be. But I'm going to list my top five. Starting at five is not my wildcard maybe could be a wildcard, is Steve Bradbury. I'm sure everyone knows about Stephen Bradbury's heroics in their 2002 Salt Lake Winter Olympics where he, speed skating, this is, pretty much coming last, well last, I think about half a lap, which is not much in terms of a speed skating rink. Anyway, last lap, obviously the field ahead of him crashed on the last corner and our mate Steve Bradbury slides on through to take the gold. So Steve Bradbury going on at number five on top five Aussie sporting icons that Australians would fall to their knees for. Coming in at number four, the king of spin, Australian cricket great. Test, uh, the best spin bowler in test history, you would say. Um, and looking good for his age. Got a bit of work done, but uh, yeah, anyway. Nonetheless, he slips into the top five at number four. Now, number three is my wild card, my non-sporting wild card, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the late and the great Steve Irwin. Nothing much more to say there. Number two, coming in at number two, Cathy Freeman. This was a pretty easy number two selection with her heroics at the 2000 Sydney Olympics, taking out gold, being the first... Aboriginal Australian to take out gold and I believe she's the first athlete in Olympic history or the only Olympian to light the cauldron at the Olympics and also win gold correct me if I'm wrong please write in um, the closest, another Aussie Patty Mills um, I believe lighting uh, no sorry Patty didn't light the cauldron Paggy Baird the flag, so Paggy Baird the flag and won bronze, but yeah, Cathy Freeman lighting the Olympic cauldron and taking out taking out gold. So she goes to number two in our top five Aussie sporting icons that Australians would fall to their knees for. Now number one, controversial. I couldn't split them, so I've put two great athletes and sportsmen at number one, Rod Rocket Laver, and of course the Don. I don't have to say too much about the accolades and achievements these two greats have done in their sport. We are lucky enough to still have Rod Laver with us. I um, don't know how old he is, actually. He's, he's getting on. I did see a video of him maybe three years back at the Australian Open hitting with Fedsy. He can still play all right. Um, but yeah, Rocket Rod Laver and the Don in Donald Bradman taking out number one position of my top five Aussie sporting icons that Australians would fall to their knees for. If you have any others, we might even extend the list out. The top ten. Write in please. If you have any to add to the list, I'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear it. Gus and producer Frey would love to hear it. And um Yeah, let's make a top ten. Anyway, moving on, let's um let's talk some tennis. Some more tennis and get away from the Novak Djokovic situation before we delve into it too deeply. A lot of tennis happening at the moment with the Australian Open Qualies underway today and the main draw kicking off in about four days' time. Yesterday, we wrapped up the ATP Cup with Canada taking a pretty profounding win over the Spaniards. So, Felix Orjali of Seam, gee, that's a tough one to pronounce, and Denis Shapovalov, two young guns from Canada. I believe probably about 21, 22 years of age, so still very young in their tennis career, taking on the Spanish veterans in Roberto Batista Aguts and Pablo Carino Busta, who both put up a pretty good fight. Um, However, the Spanish veterans, I believe they are edging on 30 years of age, getting outdone by the young Canadians. So that was a pretty marvellous result. Um... One of the probably better things that I've noticed from the ATP Cup is that it allows for a lot of players without a high ranking to compete in such a big event. So for those who are unfamiliar with the format, teams and countries are selected with the top 24 ATP-ranked players and their corresponding countries. So for example, we could have Pretty small countries like Greece, obviously with with Pass um, being, I think, about four or three in the world at the moment. He hosts a Greek team of which he has to fill another singles player and a doubles pairing. So of which we've seen a lot of players ranked outside the top 500 competing in this event and competing against some of the best players in the world. So it's pretty cool to see the difference in level the difference in ball striking, which is really not that much, um, and yeah, pretty cool to see those guys ranked around 7, 600 in the world, take on the top 100, so pretty cool format, pretty cool tournament, and congratulations, Canada, for taking the W. Moving on to the Adelaide International, which was held at the same time as the ATP Cup, Starting on the women's draw, we had Maddie Inglis, Daria Gavrilova. Oh, not Gavrilova, Daria Savile now. Recently marrying Luke Savile, so Daria Gav. Both getting through qualies, but unfortunately bowing out in the first round. Priscilla Hon getting a wild card into the main draw and taking a huge scalp in Patrick Avitova, 6-2 in the third set, Priscilla won. And if, uh, unfortunately losing in the second round to Victoria Azarenka. So two... Class, class plays and one scalp in Kvitova Kvitova for Priscilla Hon. So that's awesome to see. Of course, taking out both the singles and doubles crown, our very own Ash Barty. Probably her her toughest match was her first round against 17-year-old Coco Guaf from America. Now, it sounds ridiculous to say, but... I believe the commentators were saying at 17 years old, this is her fourth or fifth professional year on tour. So I think Coco had her first professional match, WTA match, at 14 years of age, which is absolutely ridiculous. We're seeing it more and more often um, as the years go on and we're getting a new generation of players come through. But 14 years of age, still 17, not even legal drinking age in Australia. Um and I believe in the top fifty on the WTA ranking, so must be very nice. Um following that I believe Ash took a win over Kennan and then in her preceding rounds didn't lose a set. Um so awesome form from Ash leading into the Australian open main draw and also taking out the doubles title with Lefty, Storm Sanders, great combo, really good at the net. Obviously, Barty has probably the best hands and feel on tour, on the w- WTA tour. You don't see the slice game that often from the women. And tell you what, the net game from both Ash and Storm, top notch. So taking another W, the old 1 2 for Ash Barty at the first Adelaide International. On the men's side, this is probably a story for Gus and one that he is very excited about. Um, It involves short shorts, a dangle earring and we all love a comeback story. I'm talking about Thanasi Kokonakis. So, Thanasi has had a terrible run recently of injuries. 2020, didn't play a single tournament due to a shoulder injury I believe. 2021, played five ATP tournaments which is not much Considering the tour runs all year round, and also competing in a host of challenger events too, of which he took a win, so that was his first challenger win for three in three years, I believe. So battling over injuries, was awarded a wild card into the men's main draw in Adelaide, and he lifted, he lifted, ladies and gentlemen. So he took a scalp, an Aussie scalp in the first round, that of John Millman, six four six three. So pretty convincing win. Followed by two pretty tough matches. He took a win over America's Francis Tiafo, 3 6 7 5 6 1. So going out pretty comfy in the third set. Quarterfinal, Mikhail Yuma. Thanasi took a win there in another tight, tight match, 7 6 4 6 6 4. Going, I believe, a nudge, just a tickle over three hours. So that's a pretty impressive effort. Now, the semi final, unfortunately. Thanasi uh, got given a free ticket to the Gale Monfils Clinic, of which Gale put on an absolute show, Seven five six one, I believe the final score was. And I don't know how old Monfils is, pushing 34, 35, but he's looking about 18-19. He's moving, hitting winners from the back of the court, diving 360s, jumping smash backhands still probably the most entertaining play to watch. If we had an award, an ATP award every year, of the most entertaining player to watch, I would say Monfils has taken it out about at least 10 times in the last 12 years. And still going. I'd vote for him this year too. Gal who eventually took out the tournament, taking down Karen of of Russia in the final. So, pretty good effort from... Thinassi taking three pretty big wins and eventually losing to the eventual champion of the tournament. So commiserations for the loss, but I believe that's some pretty, pretty good tennis leading into the Australian Open. Some more tennis to come. There's a couple tournaments, another Adelaide tournament followed by another Melbourne tournament. And then, of course... The big dance, the big show in the Australian Open. So yeah, hopefully Thanasi keeps keeps pushing this level and lifts it maybe a little bit more. Alright, moving on to moving cities into Melbourne. Last week we have had a WTA and ATP event also in Melbourne, of which Rafa Nadal taking out the men's the men's title and America's Amanda Aminosova. Taking out the women's. Now, I did read yesterday that I believe this is Rafa's 19th consecutive year of which he's won an ATP title. 19 years. 19 years of dominance. I don't know if he's been dominating per se in the last few years, but to be able to stay competitive for pretty close to 20 years, that is pretty, pretty good from Rafa. Um... Hopefully he gets another sneaky look here at another slam. Wouldn't that be nice? 21 slams. That would change the GOAT debate. Jeez, we'd have to do another segment on that. Rafa Nadal and Djokovic in the Australian Open 2022 final. That would be something. That would be something indeed. Um, That's Melbourne. We've got another Melbourne summer set series coming up. Sydney Classic currently on at the moment. But probably more exciting... And some ridiculously good tennis we've seen today from a lot of the Aussies is in the Australian Open qualifying event. We're going to run through some results starting on the men's side. So we've had young Aussie, a lot of young Aussies taking some scalps actually. So Rinky taking down Frenchman Mathias Bourgeois. Three and four, so getting his first round Quali's win. Also, young gun from Australia, Philip Sekulic taking down Germany's Matthias Sebastian four and three in the first round. So pretty good scalps there for Rinky and Philip. Um, now moving on to one of my favorite results: in Dane Sweeney, getting a win over another Frenchman, in Gregoire barre Five and three. Very good tennis, very good effort, but I do want to highlight and I wanna I wanna put it out there that if you haven't seen Dane Sweeney, have a Google, have a YouTube, watch him play, particularly in the last year, because he is repping probably, arguably, I think, the best mullet in Australian sport. I've said it. The best mullet in Australian sport. There's some great ones, but currently, I don't think you can beat Dane Sweeney's mullet. It flows. I think he's rocking a moustache at the moment as well, so it's looking bloody good, and it's helped him take a first-round scalp in the qualifying event at the Australian Open. Um, So check him out. Watch some highlights. Get amongst the mullet. Sunny Coast rep too, Dane Sweeney. So awesome to see one of the old Sunny Coast boys doing well on the big stage. Unfortunately Lee Two um bowed out in the first round today. Lee Two's story from last year was pretty remarkable. He was got a wild card into the Australian Open main draw as an unranked player, so no ATP ranking. Um however he did pretty well on the UTR circuit. So taking about forty three wins to roughly five losses. So that um yeah, due to Andy Murray pulling out in twenty twenty one Lee snuck in there. Unfortunately, lost first rounds in a pretty good four-set match against the veteran Feliciano Lopez, smoke show, in fact. So Lee too, unfortunately, not getting through. Um, on the men's draw today as well, Jason Kubler, Jason Kubler taking a first round win from a set down. I was watching this one and believe it or not I think it was a set down for all 15-30 on Jace's serve and he goes on to win 20 points in a row to be up four love in the third set of which he then lost the conceding point going on to win 6-1 six, six I believe in the, in the third set so remarkable comeback from Jace and awesome to see him kicking in the second round so big things to come On the women's side, of course, we have to shout out and congratulate our very own friend of the show, friend of us, in Kimberley Birrell. Um, Awesome to see her back on court after God knows how many years of injury, on and off injury, so it's unreal to see Kim back playing, getting some wins um, in a tough three-set match today. So, unreal. Keep it going, Kimbo. Um, And that's... Pretty much wraps up today's tennis talk. We are heading into day two of qualies. Tomorrow, there's still some Sydney Classic tournaments on as well. Adelaide International 2 on as well. A little wheelchair tennis starting, some junior events starting. It's all happening in Melbourne, Adelaide and Sydney. And um, we're going to try to keep you updated the best we can on the tennis front. Uh, We're going to move on. Unless I have missed something. I'm sure I've missed something, but we're going to move on anyway. Into other cool sporting news. Starting off with the Ashes. Australia taking a 3-0 lead and claiming the Ashes trophy once again. Um, fourth match at the SCG. Usman Kowaja not having played a test match or been selected since 2000, not 19, geez, 2019. 2019. Gets selected in the absence of Harris, I believe. Two tons, ladies and gentlemen. One hundred and thirty-seven on his first innings and one hundred and one not out in his second, helping Australia come through a pretty a pretty tough first innings, losing Marnus Smith Warner very early. So we needed that from from Uzi and. Yeah, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever way you want to look at it, ended in a draw. Um, on the English side, we saw some pretty good results in Johnny Bairstow taking, or knocking up his first century at the SCG and his first century in 38 innings. So it's been a while between drinks for Johnny Bairstow, of which ran onto the field after the match and nicked a couple stumps, as you do. Um, Jack Leach, apparently. I don't know if this is true. But, bear with me, apparently Leach was on his hat-trick ball in Australia's second innings before our great captain in Pat Cummings decided to declare. Is that a dog move? Leach on his hat-trick ball with Australia declaring and uh, sending sending the, the Poms out to bat. So, I would say it's a dog move, though I love Pat. I don't know about it. Um... Anyway, let us know what you think. Um, And we've also got Gus to write in his test, his fifth test in Hobart, starting side. So we're going to run through it just quickly. And I believe believe this is the exact same test that the King of Spin has put out recently as well. So whether or not we've got some voodoo stuff going on with Gus and the King, or Gus has seen the Kings list and gone from that. But anyway, here's the list Warner and Kawaja opening. Marnus coming in at three. Obviously, with Smith coming in at four. Travis Head and Cameron Green coming in at five and six. Alex Carey, seven. And then our bowling lineup in Cummins, Stark, Lyon, and Boland. So. Pretty, pretty good, if you ask me. Um, of course, Kowaja in, I guess, at the expense of Harris, who has been struggling in the first three, the first couple of tests, but knocking up a pretty good score in the third. So it's going to be tough, tough decisions for the Australian selectors there. Um, moving on from cricket news, in other cool news, going to the NBA. So the NBA as of last week just crowned the youngest ever player to record a triple-double and friends he's an Aussie and he goes by the name of Josh Giddy, 19 years of age and 84 days uh, ousting Lamelo, who was 19 and 140 days last season to take um, yeah the youngest player to ever re- to record a triple-double in the NBA joins the likes of Luka Doncic He's doing remarkable things at the moment. and Obviously, LeBron as well. So, Josh Giddey. Not only did he record a triple-double on that day, but he's been consistently scoring buckets. I believe averaging about 13, 14 points a game. Averaging 7 or 8 assists a game. So, he's been um, pretty formidable for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And hopefully he keeps it going. Going back to the cricket... Not Test Cricket, the BBL. Um, this is a pretty crazy one. We've had COVID absolutely running rampant, not just in the community, but also within our sporting teams. The Broncos got hit. Now it's the Brisbane Heat that are getting hit mid-tournament with 11 of their players out with COVID, of which the reserve grade team, I believe, had to come in. And also, Lachlan Pfeffer. Last week he was a school teacher, well, still is a school teacher. This week came in to play for the Brizzy Heat as a reserve wiki, um, and also pretty good with the bat, making 69 off 51 balls. So, though we got, I think, dominated by the Perth Scorchers, Lachlan Pfeffer, pretty cool story. Second BBL match ever. Um, I think playing a couple of years ago as a ring in wiki, so. Yeah, 69 of 51 balls. Pretty impressive effort for a part-timer. Of course, in other cool news, well, we can... I wouldn't say it's very cool, but the NRL, as always, have provided a very, very predictable off-season with big stars, once again, being charged with assault, drug possession, etc. You name it, they're doing it. And very, very predictable from the NRL boys. So, Blake Ferguson... Got caught possession of possession of cocaine in Japan. If there's anywhere you're gonna do that? It's not Japan. It's the cleanest city, the nicest people, and dare I say it, I think they would have a pretty pretty strict policy on on drug possession. So, geez, doesn't look good for Black Ferguson. I reckon he will probably be held in a Japanese jail cell for up to three to six months while they await his decision, of which, of course, his Japanese rugby contract, worth many millions of dollars, just got torn up. So, great move, Blake Ferguson. Um, And, yeah, some assault charges, classic, some drunken incidents, which the media love. And, uh, yeah, the NRL providing some big blows in the off-season. Now, probably some of the coolest news... On the PGA Tour. The golfing tour. Aussie Cam Smith just won the first PGA event of the year in Hawaii. And not only has he won it, but he's also totaled... Well, hosted the best score in a par 72 um, tour event of 34 under, which is quite remarkable. John Ram, world number one, though, coming in at a close second shooting, uh, I believe, 32 under, so... But anyway, Aussie Cam Smith. Oh, my God. Talking about mullets, Cam Smith. Cam Smith. Probably running in a very close second to Dane Sweeney in Australia's greatest mullet. Got more of like a rat tail mullet vibe, so it looks a little bit dirty, a little bit more bogan. Um, but once again, if you haven't seen it, PGA's Cam Smith. This is not NRL's Cam Smith, by the way. PGA's Cam Smith. Check him out. Of the last year or so. There'll be some highlights up. But yeah. One of the dirtiest mullets. And Mo's going around in sport. And he's going in my top three. I don't know who my top three is yet. I'm guessing it's Sweeney. Sween Dog. And Cameron Smith. Number three. Who could it be? I don't know. We'll see. Geez. I'm spitting bars. Um, Cameron Smith taking out his first ever PGA event. So that's pretty much wraps us up in terms of sporting news um, it's pretty weird not having Gus and producer Frey not in the studio but hopefully I've provided the listeners somewhat of a little bit of a catch up a familiar voice if you may those in isolation or lockdown hopefully have provided you with a good solid half an hour and a little bit of absolute dribble so Tennis, cricket, NBA, golf It's all happening We've still got another two weeks Of tennis action The Australian Open Main draw just around the corner The fifth test match in Hobart Hopefully the Aussies can get another win there To make it more convincing And we've got some more qualities matches And a lot of Aussie action Tomorrow, today Hopefully when I release this And yeah That's pretty much it Um Good luck to all the Aussies competing. Um, tomorrow I believe we've got Akira Santelin, Tristan Schoolkate, Edward Winter, uh in the mix, along with a host of host of other Aussies as well. Pullman's Ebden. Um, so it's all happening. And yeah, that that's gonna wrap us up for today, folks. And we'll get back to you most likely at the end of the week, hopefully at the end of the week. I'm hoping a negative COVID result comes back very, very soon. It probably won't. And hopefully we're out of isolation. We can get the boys back in the studio very soon. Maybe even some special guests. And we're also going to rip into our pledges of which we have put forth at the end of last year, if you've been listening. Myself, Gus, and producer Frey have put forth a pledge each of which producer phrase was to be able to do the splits by year's end Gus's was to be able to kick flip over a stubby cooler and my pledge was a bit of a tougher one it was to play 72 holes of golf in a day with the days shortening up it's getting harder and harder to do so hopefully I uh, will get a move on with that and get some content for the listeners Um that's pretty much it. We'll get back to you with another podcast at the end of the week with Gus, Gus Bus, and hopefully Producer Frey, depending on his Melbourne movements, Hopefully he can get back in the state. Um, but anyway, stay tuned for some more updates, another chat, and, yeah, take it easy. Adios.